Finally, a prequel to the hit Nickelodeon show All Grown Up. We're talking Rugrats on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kid Flicks, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and do what a baby's got to do. I had to put that in there because I had no other natural place to put it. So I'm, I'm very excited about this topic and also my guest. First of all, very exciting. This is episode 160 of Kid Flicks, so thank you for those of you who are listening and continue to listen. Uh, but anyway, my guest today, um, she is an Emmy Award winning uh, TV personality, obviously, because she has an Emmy. Uh, she's a food blogger. You might know her from the TV shows Check, Please on WHYY, as well as Delistery. But you can also hear her every week on her podcast, Amouge Bouche. Please help me welcome Kehlani Palmisano. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, thank you for being here. Um, I'm very excited. So uh, we went back and forth a little bit when you were going to be on. First of all, I think it was very fun because your first thought was to go with Clerks. Cause, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've had, we've had a few different people on the podcast and episodes where like, it's not traditionally a kid's thing, but you know, if you watch it when you're a child, like I guess my example would be Corky Romano. I was obsessed with that movie for some reason. Yes. But uh, I'm very excited. We're talking about Rugrats. Somehow never we never really discussed it uh on the show before how so, is that possible i don't, i have no idea uh, like, because it's so iconic and it is such a huge part of the nickelodeon like what we remember as like what quote unquote the orange years like yeah, oh. the, rugrats was one of the first animated series to come like to start the Nickelodeon animation kind of studio, so to yes. say. So yeah. it was uh, Rugrats was one of three original Nicktoons pilots alongside yes. Doug and Ren and Stimpy. Um, do, you, do you have any affini- affinity for those two? Or I mean, Rugrats is my obviously my first choice in those. Oh, yeah. Um, I I resonated most with Rugrats as a kid, but I really also like enjoyed my dad used to really enjoy uh, Ren and Stimpy. I feel like Ren and Stimpy was the more like adultish cartoon. And as history, like as time went on, like and we started to learn the the complexities of um, John Kay, the yes. animator and creator of The Simpsons, or not Simpsons rather, uh, of Ren and Stimpy. Um, you know, it, then the the cartoon becomes more and more demented. Um, so I, I, you know, it's that's a wild and sad and crazy story about what he did to some of the young women that were like working on his staff and also to younger uh younger girls that were fans of the show but when you when you understand uh John Kay's kind of issues and and everything then when you watch Ren and Stimpy through that lens you can kind of see a lot of those issues coming out so like that's kind of an interesting I don't know if you wanted to tackle that on your like no, a future I, look, episode I'm glad, but I'm glad that you brought that up I, <laughs> yeah so I yeah I mean all all the really disappointing and frustrating John Kay uh scandal aside I never really liked Ren and Stimpy mainly because like it was so gross and yeah I think Rugrats kind of strikes a balance of like weird kind of yucky stuff, but it's still kind of playful. But Ren and Stimpy, it's especially after he left the show, 
And oh Billy yeah, which West was really was early both. on. Yeah, yeah, it was really early on because he couldn't keep his uh, timeline together. So really, like John Kay wasn't involved in Ren and Stimpy for too long, and the show kind of continued without him. But there are a lot of things that you know, there were a lot of animators that are making shows today that kind of like like people that are working on the new Animaniacs worked with mm-hmm. uh, John Kay and also worked on um, Ren and Stimpy. So there's a lot of the influences where it's like the the freeze frame ultra grotesque shots that were taken with um you know with uh john k like they appear that's like become like a trend and kind of like an animation style on an all on its own that people kind of recreate and replicate as they move on but that kind of happens in in rugrats too there's a lot of like you could pause at any moment and it's just like weird faces distorted room angles um yeah but it that's because it's from a baby's perspective yeah um, i i completely yeah. forgot how skewed the perspective was because uh so um i when we were discussing this beforehand like we didn't really say oh we're gonna watch this episode and this episode right like i kind of took free reign i assume you did too yeah i did and like especially i watched a season one episode and then a few later season ones and season one especially the animation is very skewed disorienting like it's 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 almost it's borderline off-putting like i watched an episode that i viscerally remembered that i'd forgotten everything about it's the episode where grandpa loses his teeth at like the outdoor barbecue oh yes yeah 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 disgusting it's like i don't know why they keep doing this thing in rugrats where they keep going uh to the inside of characters mouths while they eat yes yes i i was gonna bring that up there's a few moments throughout the show where all of a sudden like they're talking and then you see from out their mouth and it's almost like their voice is an echo in their own mouth Mm -hmm. and that um they did that extremely early on in their pilot actually which is like where tommy it's like tommy and the great white thing which is the toilet it's when tommy discovers this whole like that the bathroom is a whole new world and Mm -hmm. there's a moment where he that he's put in the playpen and he's talking to phil and lil and he's like guys I saw this thing. It's a great white thing. And he starts describing it. And like Phil and Lil are like, oh, you mean that fishbowl that's in the bathroom? And, you know, and but at one point, there's like this unsettling shot where you're in Lil's mouth and she's talking and Lil's voice is an echo. And it's like, why? Why did they why did they make that choice? And also, too, why did they continue that choice later on? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is how like the show as it goes on and as I was watching later episodes, it very much becomes just like, like skewed just perspective and kind of like miscommunication Oh yeah, between just like, you know, uh, babies and toddlers that are still figuring out the world and adults who, because they have it so figured out, like don't really think about it and how that yeah. kind of clashes with each other. And it's really interesting because especially when I was watching the older episodes, like you can feel kind of like early sitcoms where okay like we're set in a coffee shop so we have to do like all the coffee shop things that we can think of and similarly with Rugrats like the episode I watched was uh yeah like I said the grandpa's teeth one so kind of just like baby's not understanding how teeth work yeah and uh the other episode uh segment with that was mama trauma which is like the most 90s thing ever whereas like the whole trend of like 
psychology. That's just mumbo jumbo. Like, yeah. the whole episode is Dee Dee being like, I think Tommy has anxiety. And uh, Stu being like, I don't know. That's just kind of quack stuff. And it that that I'm glad that they kind of dropped that because when I was watching it, that episode in particular, I was thinking like, oh, no. Uh, is this not going to hold up at all? Because, like both those episodes are just like the Rube Goldberg machines of like right. the baby gets out and then just stuff happens around them and they somehow don't die, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of moments like that. Well, it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's a lot of the conversations that Rugrats were having on the show were not conversations that were really happening in mainstream television and the fact that it was kind of happening on a kid's show was extremely like profound because Dee Dee is a child psychologist like that's her job and it's kind of cool like to see you know her character she's strong she's intelligent she seems a bit um she doesn't trust in her own parenting so Mm -hmm. she refers to the Dr. Lipschitz books all of the time and like at one point she calls like the Dr. Lipschitz uh in Naked Tommy when he like rips off all his clothes because he wants to be naked like Spike uh because Spike is so happy and has freedom and everything um you know, she's like, oh, well, Dr. Lipschitz's book says that it's a way for him to explore his autonomy and kind of establish his, establish himself and yada. And like, he, she has all these like psychological, like, psycho, like psychologist terms for it and everything. But like, she calls the hotline and it's like, press these numbers. And it's just like this automated response. Yeah. And she gets to the end where Dr. Lipschitz says the exact same thing that's like in his book, which was the exact same thing that she was also saying. So even though she is a child psychologist, she still seems very like, oh, I need to refer to these child rearing books and I need to watch and listen to all of what Dr. Lipschitz has to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but then I, uh, on a similar note, like they, one thing that's really interesting too about Rugrats is that you s- do get a lot of um, interesting storylines with the parents. Like it's not, even though it is the baby's show, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also just about this extended family kind of raising children together. And um, the one of the later season episodes I watched uh, is called The Baby Vanishes. And okay. um, the episode you might remember, it's uh, Angelica is, you know, being uh, an Angelica <laughs> person. Yeah. And uh, she's playing with her mom's uh, uh, makeup and stuff, including her mom's invisible cream. And oh, her dad, that's right. Yeah, her yes. dad v- vaguely explains like, oh, it gets rid of like, blemishes and stuff and Angelica's like does it and the dad goes no but your mom likes to think it does <laughs> and so the episode veers re- like it it almost plays like an episode of Frasier <laughs> to be honest of just yeah. like the you know uh just farcic- uh, farcical nature but uh it becomes Angelica puts on the invisible cream so that she will become invisible very much an emperor's cl- new clothing kind of storyline yeah, story line. <laughs> yeah. And, and then uh the parents simultaneously are having a conversation they take a, a magazine quiz of 50 ways to tell if your child is a spoiled brat yes and because angelica's dad fills that like checks all of the boxes they decide okay let's not engage her let's not encourage her behavior we're just gonna ignore her yeah. so it becomes this thing where angelica thinks she's invisible and the parents are trying to 
you know, evolve yeah. and change the character. And it it works so seamlessly that, like, you know, if you're a kid or an adult, like, it just works. And yeah. it, it just, like, it didn't, it doesn't have to be this whole thing. It could just be babies think this and they're wrong. But Right, the, the way that they're interpreting the world is so, like, juvenile and naive because they're children and this is their first time kind of encountering these things. And that's so funny because as a kid watching the show, you're really just watching the babies and their adventure and it's all about them. But now as an adult, as I went back and like was rewatching a lot of these episodes, um, you realize there's all this plot with the parents and the parents, there's like just as much dialogue between the parents and the adults. There's just as much happening in their world. Sometimes there's whole episodes that are just strictly about like one of the adult characters and the babies are just kind of like doing stuff in the background. Like there's yeah. all these types of like uh, formulas for for Rugrats. There's, yeah, the, the kind of focusing on the parents. Like there's an episode where um, Lou Pickles, the grandpa, moves out and goes to a retirement community, and the kids oh. like go and visit him. And they like he's trying to hype up this place that is just like not like not a nice place, like just like an old retirement community where it's like he he talks about oh I go fishing every single day, but he goes fishing in a man made pond where the where the fish are store brought and put into the pond. Yeah. Um, and he's yeah he's just trying to sell it to sell it to his family about like how great of a place it is. Um, and then there's you know then there's episodes where the, the Tommy is on a mission and it's usually something that he's very fixated on. And a lot of times it's Reptar and finding Reptar. There's like multiple episodes early on where he you know where they're at the movie theater and he saw a Reptar poster and there's a Reptar movie and so they escape from the movie that they're watching to go and find Reptar but it's kind of like oh you're seeing from a baby's perspective like a movie theater kind of like where you're saying with the coffee shop we now have to do everything that like you would see at a coffee shop happening mm -hmm. oh you're seeing it through the baby's eyes they're like causing all this mayhem but what's funny is like they're crawling around they're knocking stuff over. They're call causing all of this like chaos, but nobody sees them. Like they're crawling around the snack bar and causing like a mess. They get into the um, the back projector room, and the guy running the projector is just like reading a book and doesn't realize that the babies are messing up with all of the film. And then suddenly, like every single every single theater, like the film is just like burning, and he's like, "Oh no!" Like you know, he finally emerges, but never sees the babies so there's like those kinds of episodes where and then they return and the parents never realize they're none yeah, the wiser it's always but, the perfect timing oh yeah and later on um there's more episodes where the kids they escaped again you know so then that like the parents kind of wise up that the kids are um kind of like loose on the goose you know <laughs> yeah um, and I, yeah. I kind of appreciated that too as the show went on and as i started watching other episodes that it became less of like, you know, they're babies, so they're going to do this baby-centric thing. Like, it just became, and I think part of why the show lasted for so long, uh, it was the longest-running Nicktoon until SpongeBob just oh, wow. steamrolled it. Like, uh, I think SpongeBob's up to, like, 280 episodes at this point. And, oh, my goodness. Uh, not including All Grown Up, which we can discuss. We don't have to discuss, because that's eh. a whole thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, they got to 172, so... I oh, mean, so they weren't that far behind. 
I mean, relatively speaking, but yeah, oh, yeah. it took it took a long time for SpongeBob to surpass it. But yeah, yeah I just like that it became a show just about imagination and kind of you know finding the exciting little things uh in life because uh you know that's always a thing that kind of comes up that uh, adults as they grow up they get jaded by the world and they don't find the fun in everything and the babies kind of bring that out in them but also they see everything as so exciting and over the top and what's what's fun too is that there's a lot of really extremely progressive things that were happening on this show but they were being presented to babies and the babies are experiencing it for the first time but it's being presented in a way where it's like totally normal it's not a lecture and it's presented like you know for instance in the mother's day episode they actually show betty breastfeeding both phil and lil and they and the the phil and lil are remembering the quote old way that mom used to feed us Mm -hmm. uh and it's just presented out there as like oh yeah totally normal totally like you know um same episode um tommy has memories of being what looks like in a um in the needle na- uh, need was it NICU like the neonatal yeah. care like where so so it kind of implies that like oh Tommy is a preemie um, and that's also the same episode where we learn that like uh, Chucky's mom had passed away so there are like all of these like really serious like themes and concepts that were in the show being presented very out there and I think that gave a lot of credit to kids being like. And I think, like, the animators knew this. They were like, oh, kids are way smarter than what we give them credit for. And we need to treat them as if, you know, they can comprehend, you know, these these ideas and everything. So the, I really appreciated how, like, progressive the show was. It's very feminist, too. The, it is. The female characters, there. there's so many different kinds of female characters, and they're all, like, super strong uh you got Dee, Dee who's incredibly intelligent she a- ends up like winning on a game show that's very much like jeopardy and even in the description it's like jeopardy like the uh, game show <laughs> you know so well, she like I, if win- i remember the the host of that show was alex quebec and yes. still vo- voiced by alex trebek but yes uh, yeah little details <laughs> like that were there's great. that there's um betty who has like the feminist symbol on a sweater and she's very like strong-willed very strong personality almost like a sports coach and everything and then there's um uh charlotte uh angelica's mom who like has a cell phone in 1992 <laughs> which is you and know she's, like, and very she... much like the busy mom like you yeah yes. you're exactly right you see all these different types of women and also um all of the different fathers are very yes. interesting like it's not Sure, it plays up as, uh, occasionally like, oh, like, you know, m- men and raising kids, it's not that easy. But like you said before, um, Chucky's mom passed yeah. away and yeah. Chaz is he's a really a great. Dad. Yeah, he's a single father. He's doing great. Like, he's still a part of this community. Um, Angelica's dad is kind of a vague businessman, but, uh, you know, struggles to um, control Angelica just because, like, he does love her and cares about her a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, that episode that I watched, like he has trouble admitting that he kind of 
uh, oh he dotes on her. her yeah she's like oh my little princess my little sugar baby like he's very like even his reg the register of his voice changes which i really appreciate of like they there's not just voice acting as the character there's voice acting and then babies speak how the parents then talk to their kids as well which is really really an interesting um choice and then yeah like you've got guys like Stu, who's like working at home he is a freelancer he's a toy he's a toy maker he's an inventor um and then of course howard who is very that's betty's uh husband who's very like wired he's like very anxious <laughs> yeah he is but he he also very much like loves and respects his wife like he, yes. it's not it's not this whole thing of like oh my god my wife controls me it's just like this who i am this who my wife is oh we yeah. make it work it was a really great representation of like 90s suburban life and uh you know as a kid never i never knew any other like it was just having that cartoon was just like this representation of the world that was like oh all of these things are completely legitimate all of these types of way to be a woman and a mom are completely legitimate and i thought i was none the wiser watching that watching that cartoon show and i think like a lot of people watching that and especially too you know then you meet the carmichaels which are which is the um susie and it's that's a black right. family that moves into the suburbs and you know they're the only black family that's in the suburbs and that's i think a uh, a big conversation too about what that looks like um later on and of course you know they rugrats had the passover special a Hanukkah special, and then years later, I think it, it wasn't until season seven, they do a whole Kwanzaa episode. Oh, and what pe what I people didn't see don't, that. Oh my goodness, like what people don't realize is that the Kwanzaa, their Kwanzaa episode was the first time that mainstream television like had a Kwanzaa special. That was like the first and, and to happen on Rugrats and about 20 years ago. And it I actually watched it last night and it is a amazing episode where the they use black voice actors. They have black writers. It's like very much like driven to represent Kwanzaa in this in this beautiful way. And the plot of it is like Susie, uh, her great aunt comes to visit for Kwanzaa for the holidays and she busts into the door gives everybody like you know a hug and she you know presents hey are we doing Kwanzaa and the mom's like oh you know what we haven't celebrated Kwanzaa in a long time and it's like the kids first time experiencing Kwanzaa oh, and so it's like they're reconnecting to their roots and the like the concept of um celebrating like black excellence in the community as well as within their own family and then the the, the episode kind of ends with the aunt telling Susie like always be proud of who you are and where you come from which was like such a amazing uh amazing cartoon moment that you know people should talk more about like the things that they were doing on Rugrats um, back 20, almost 30 years ago at this point were like things that we discuss now in media, which is awesome. <laughs> right. And definitely like growing up Jewish, like there would always be like just the, the like, Oh, the Jewish episode, like we'll just randomly call a character Jewish. Like, right. Uh, and like as, as a kid and, and even now, like people always mark uh, the, friends episode with the hanukkah armadillo as like oh, oh yeah. that's that's your like ho holiday episode right but 
uh, my family, we had both uh, a Rugrats Passover and a Rugrats Hanukkah on those separate uh, orange VHS Oh, I tapes. love that. That's great. Yeah. And like, that, those were so profound. Yeah. And I watched the Passover episode uh, right before we started, actually. And yeah. <laughs> it's it super holds up. And like, it's just a really just good representation of the holiday like you know it tells the Where whole they story share, yeah they share the story and i was wondering how they were going to discuss the plagues because the most severe plague at the end being like the death of the firstborn son i think but they say it's like oh the firstborn child disappears and angelica portraying the pharaoh is all concerned like i love how she calls her dad and her dad's in like and he's like, like hi my little pharaoh how are hi, you my little pharaoh but it's so funny because it's like it's supposed to take place thousands of years ago in Egypt um this is a bible story and she calls her dad who's in present day (laughs) and she she has a cell phone where all the numbers are just hieroglyphs yes (laughs) it's perfect the little subtleties like that but uh yeah they they say that the firstborn is just gonna be is gonna disappear but that was um that was a really I think important episode I know for a lot of Americans that was also how they learned about uh, Jewish traditions for Passover. And I like how the episode begins with them making latkes mm-hmm. and, and Tommy's like, look, mom's making pancakes. I don't know why she's making pancakes. And, you know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, latkes, they talk about the, um, the matzah, the unleavened bread and everything. Like, yeah, and, um, how, and Chucky, uh, it's Chucky's fault because he forgot to put yeast in the bread. And oh, like, yes. And then he says, Oh, but that's okay. I invented matzah. And that's, <laughs> That's just it. And like I will say, so I was reading up and I completely forgotten about this, but there was a whole uh, controversy controversy that the Anti-Defamation League kind of was uh, annoyed at Rugrats because um, the uh, two grandparent characters. So um, what's their name? Oh, um, uh, Minka and Boris. Yes, Minka and Boris. They're like very like old country steadily and right um the uh the adl kind of compares them to like anti-semitic drawings from the 30s which i think is a little bit um of a stretch but uh like especially because uh one of the creators i believe it's uh klasky yeah arlene yeah is jewish and Mm -hmm. uh i think also uh Paul Germain is Jewish uh, and also one of the writers had a very Jewish last name but it's just it was like a uh, it's awkward and I think like later on they kind of stopped using those characters because they're like look we love them and we tried to do some nuance it's it's a it's a shame because um Arlene uh based those characters after her real grandparents she actually drew like she designed those characters and those characters are to represent her, who were Russian immigrants. She's Polish Jewish and Russian Jewish, um, even though she was like born in Omaha. Yeah, I guess like um, possibly what makes this show like so progressive is of course like the people behind it. Yeah, like you've got Arlene, a woman who, you know, she was born in Omaha, but her, like I said, her family is like Polish Jewish and, and Russian Jewish. So she's like children of, child of immigrants. Um, and then you have Grappo. I think his name was Grappo. Hold on. Let me refer to my the yeah, these, Ultimate Rugrats fan book. Okay. Yeah, yes. these so, names aren't, aren't that easy. <laughs> also, real quick, uh, Kehlani, you just kind of glossed over what you just opened. Could you, could you oh, explain yeah, what that the, is? Uh, I have the 
the ultimate Rugrats fan book. Uh, I believe it was published in like 1999. Uh, I did not get this for this episode. This is something my husband already had on the shelf. Um, but yeah, it's Arlene Klasky and Gabor Chupo. Chupo. Uh, so the C-S-U-P-O is like a Chupo sound. Like, uh, Gab- I guess his first name is, yeah, Gabor. Uh, like, we'll call him Chupo. Mm-hmm. So Chupo, like, his story is wild. Uh, he's born in Hungary and he learns animation uh, at a Hungarian university. And he always wanted to have a cartoon studio, but Hungary was uh, was communist at the time and he couldn't start a company. So he knew that if he wanted to have an animation studio, he was going to have to leave the country. But in order to leave a communist country, you have to apply and it's extremely hard to be able to leave. So he actually snuck out. He walked for two and a half uh, hours through a tunnel in Austria wow. and got to the other side where a friend was waiting for him. And then he, the friend took him up to Sweden where he worked in animation. And apparently that's where he meets Arlene. But I don't know how Arlene got to Sweden or why she was there. So they meet, they fall in love, they move out to LA um, and Gabor Chupo is working at the Hanna-Barbera studio uh, with Scooby-Doo and Arlene was working in television and advertising. And then eventually they start up their studio, which does a bunch of like animated logos. They do like animated, um, they do all these animated um, commercials and everything, but their very first like big break is Tracy Ullman's show they are the animators of the Simpsons for the first, yeah, for the first three like years of the show, um, they create, you know, not, they don't create, but like, you know, Chupo is credited with making the Simpsons yellow and giving Marge the blue hair and everything. Cause uh, yeah, they, they, I think they animated the first three seasons and they partially stopped because Rugrats started in 91. They stopped animating the Simpsons in 92. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nickelodeon, like after The Simpsons kind of like takes off, Nickelodeon approaches them for like an original concept. And that's when Arlene's like, she's got, she's a mom. She's got, I think, two kids at that point. And she kind of like looks at her 15 month old and is like, I wonder what the world looks like from his perspective. And that's when she comes up with the concept of like, uh, yeah, of Rugrats and calls Paul Germain and is like, yo, I got an idea for this for this cartoon that's like from a baby's perspective and yeah so it's it like and that perspective you could see very clearly in like some of the intros where it's like zoomed in on like grass with bugs and you know or like you know a perspective of under a door frame that's how the um the pilot begins but the the very first episode which is Tommy's first birthday you can really see like everything looks like an MC Escher drawing like the perspectives are all off like the mom comes through the door and is like as big as the door and well, even faces, the just the yeah. the theme the theme song the title sequence is what 35 seconds or something yeah, but it's yeah. so warpy and Oh, disorienting but like but we, it, it works. yeah oh you can't talk about Rugrats music without touching on the fact that it's Mark Mothersburg who yep. often sometimes on some of the episodes brings his brother into the fold and so it's like the two brothers working on on the music for the show God, um, it's but, so great you're like hitting all of the points that like I have in my notes but um, <laughs> like we're just on the same page but yes. yeah and and I mean, I, I'd forgotten what the music was like besides just the theme song, but listening to it w- during the show, I forgot like, right, this is very much just 
it's almost like music filtered through a baby's perspective because like oh, the, yeah. the glockenspiel is kind of like the main instrument and then this weird just like guttural noises are mm-hmm. just everywhere. It's like a synthesizer with like buh, 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 like like a synthesizer of like just people's voices. Exactly. Like chorus of weird voices. Um but I yeah, when you watch it it's the the music really drives the plot in most in most episodes uh, lots of um sound effects like wah, wah, like very like mm-hmm. um which i really do uh appreciate so it's like it's a fun show did you happen to watch the hanukkah special too i didn't get a chance to i don't remember it as well because i uh, oh you know what i do remember though that the, the whole plot is like the stew built a giant um, okay, I'm so glad that car. that's what you remember because I laughed so hard because Stu's working on it in the basement, which I'm like, how did he get the car down in the basement? Or maybe he's in the garage. I'm not quite sure, but like it, it, they make it seem like he's in his lair. And <laughs> Dee Dee, you know, they're getting ready to go to uh, Grandpa Boris's in the play for, for Han- right. the Hanukkah play, the seniors' Hanukkah play and everything. And uh, Stu and his dad are down in the basement and the dad's just like, and this is when you really subtly learn that it's Dee Dee who's Jewish and Stu is not. And Stu is trying to learn and connect and appreciate her culture. And he's trying to, imp- and like, I saw it as such like a loving thing. Like he built that monstrosity because he wanted to impress her. But there's this moment where- And it like where- shoots fireworks, right? That's- yes, yeah. yes. So there's a moment where she's like, uh, like, I think it was Minka asks like, oh, Minka, you know, she's like, oh, where's Stu? And and the mom is like, Didi says, oh, he's in the basement. He's building something for the Hanukkah play, but I hope he's not going to do anything inappropriate. And suddenly it goes down into the basement where he tries to turn it on for the first time. And it's like <laughs> the most inappropriate, like you want to talk about like stereotypes oh. and everything. It like, ju- I just, it just like unlocked in my head. I remember it's like, it's like going up and down. It's like, yeah, little... it's like these train whistles in each of the menorah uh, candle candlesticks alternating, going up and down, blowing steam. There's a star of David that spins with yeah. sparklers. Like it's one of those fireworks you put on the side of the tree and like spins. And then like a cuckoo clock striking 12, like these uh, Russian dancers come out and it's all of this like music that like comes That's out right. this class music that comes out of it <laughs> yeah and i that's a, a whole thing that i didn't realize with the passover special too that i i had forgotten that there were an interfaith family and yes. i mean Stu's granted a little bit ruder in the passover special because he's like come on duty this is kind of boring why are we doing this but oh he, yeah like he's asked to lead the the seder which even for somebody who like grew up in the religion, it's not an easy thing to do. And he's just kind of like reading and just trying to figure it out. Yeah, he says like herb and and Didi's like, it's pronounced herb. And he's That's like, not a bad Didi. People- yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know, I was, so the success of shows like this, it, it, it's like, because there's a character that we can all identify with. And I was going to ask you, like, what character did you identify with as a kid and who do you identify with now? Yeah, I think if I had to get, I feel like I was a Chucky kid. Oh, really? Because I I was a very nervous child. I still am a nervous child as an adult. Yeah. But 
Uh, also, fun fact, uh, Chucky was modeled after Mark Mothersburg. No kidding, you. really? Yeah. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I don't even know as an adult who I relate to. I think I, I just kind of like Chaz. I just think he's oh, really, yes. he's really so you're just sweet. Our older, he's your Charles Sr. now. <laughs> yes. Uh, what about you? Um, as a kid, I definitely identified a lot with like Tommy and Susie, where it was like smart, loved reading, intelligent, the wise one, but also a little bit of like the leader of the pack as, as a kid. Uh, but now I see myself as like a Dee Dee with like hints of Betty a little bit, but more Dee Dee. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too, because like my husband is stew to a T, loves toys, is very enthusiastic about cartoons. Like when when we meet the Carmichaels, we learn that the dad, uh, Susie's dad, it writes the dummy bears. And Stu right. is just like enamored with the fact that uh, you know, Susie Carmichael's dad is like the writer of the dummy bears and won't stop talking to him about now, like John wouldn't be, my husband wouldn't be the kind of guy that, uh, would approach an animator and just gush and, and fan out. He's like a little bit more timid and shy, but he's, he's definitely got a lot of stew to him, but I asked him the same question and he, he enjoyed Chucky as a kid, but he said just mainly because of the colors and just how like weird and wild Chucky looks. Yeah, his like really cute uh like globe uh shirt. Oh yeah, he's got Saturn on his shirt. It's so cute. Yeah. And it's funny, I I had completely forgotten about this until I, I started prepping for the episode. But when I was a counselor in training years ago, we planned a special day all about Rugrats. And did you really? Yeah. Unfortunately, because I, I was the, the guy walking around with the binder. I felt very important on the walkie-talkie all day. <laughs> but I had completely forgotten about that. That like, And it was 2013, so I think it was right on the edge of like Rugrats still being like, oh, a, oh yeah. a thing that all Huge of us phenomenon. had in our childhood. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Like We had uh, like dirt pies out of like crushed Oreos that the oh, kids cute. ate. We had like a bath uh, bath time in the pool. Oh, it was yay. so fun. I also That's a really creative, fun camp activity. Yeah, I'm sure uh, I should have like tried to find the special day itinerary because it's somewhere like deep in my Google Drive. But uh, <laughs> it was it's so still on your Google Drive. I love it. But oh, and we uh, I just remember this, that we had to have like a theme song almost for the day. So like it's camp. So you it's fun to write like song parodies. And because it was 2013. Justin Bieber was like still like new-ish and huge. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we uh, we would sing to the tune of "Baby." We're more than just babies, babies, babies. Oh, <laughs> it's great. That is so fun. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And so I um and so Rugrats was like part of your childhood, like because I mm-hmm. I know like. I think my brother was um, bordering on a little old for it when we really got into it. But oh yeah, like you were right in the middle of it. I was in that that sweet spot where it was like, yeah, like you said, like Doug was big. It was like a lot of that. Like he, later later on was like Hey Arnold, which uh, the creator of Hey Arnold actually was a writer for uh, Rugrats mm. for a bit. Um, you know, just like a lot of those Nicktoon shows before SpongeBob, like that was that SpongeBob was my changed childhood. like everything. It did, yeah. And it, it's Nickelodeon has had some 
bumps along the way. I feel like that sweet spot was like the 90s Nickelodeon was like really the golden era, the orange years. Like there's a documentary called like the orange years, which is a really good um, documentary about that time, that era, 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 era. (laughs) era of uh of of Nickelodeon but like after there was kind of like almost like a little bit of a slump where they got too much into live action stuff and I mean like the live action stuff was like fine but then when they try to like get back into animation like their home run is that Spongebob and now it's just kind of like they're like trying to find too many Spongebobs like that's Mm -hmm. what they they want just more more Spongebob Um, well that's kind of like a trend that I feel like has been happening with uh, like kids programming in general, like I think Cartoon Network is completely its own beast. And I, yeah. I'm not really, I don't know a whole lot about Cartoon Network, but Disney and Nickelodeon, it became this competition thing. And both channels ended up just producing a lot of content where it's like just people talking really loudly and oh, like just yeah, yeah. loudness, and having, like, really ridiculous voices. And, and also yeah. n- almost all of the shows are canceled or end or spin off by like three and a half, four seasons because like instead of it's not a thing of like curating a few huge shows, it's just like building up a back catalog. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of a, a different vibe over there. Um, it is, but it, it's like, yeah, those early years where like you can go in back into Doug and relate so hard to Doug and his teenage years and and having like school schoolyard crushes and yeah. all of the like problems that a teenager would handle was like Doug and Rugrats was like from a kid's perspective. But that like now as an adult, I'm realizing like, oh, this show was just as much for the parents as it was like they they do slip in some like real slick um like adult jokes in there or like and also too if you focus on like the labels of products in the background they're just so goofy like like for instance um there's an episode it's actually the second episode the second part of the second episode is a waiter there's a baby in my soup and it's the concept is like Stu is gonna have dinner at a fancy restaurant with a toy investor uh mr mecklehoney mecklehoney and um like Lou leaves to go on a hot date with like a, you know, another elderly woman and she's the driver. Like, cause I guess Lou didn't have a car or like maybe Lou just was picked up for this date mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have a means of driving. But, um, you know, Stu has this moment with his dad where they're going to go bowling and he's like, all right, I'm going to leave. And, and Stu's like, all right, get a, get a 300 there, tiger, like score 300. Like, I don't um, know who talks to their dad that way, but okay. Yeah, you do yeah. still. But the concept of that episode is like, they can't get anyone to watch Tommy. So they have to bring Tommy to this fancy restaurant. And of course, Tommy like oh. escapes and he like yeah. ties his dad's shoes to the table legs. And, you know, Stu's trying to do this presentation of like all of his ideas and toys for this Mecklehoney guy who ends up being uh, a real prankster. And he like is loud and boisterous. And he seems like the kind of guy that would be at a fancy restaurant and being loud and demanding, but people mm-hmm cater to him because he's got lots of money kind of a thing uh but that's yeah that's a good that's a good episode where there's like subtle hints and then in terms of like labels uh the second episode the first part is like a barbecue and this is when you start to realize that like 
Dee Dee is kind of like a very, like a mom who is, you know, uh, very concerned about her child and doing things right and is all in these Dr. Lipschitz, but they also are like weirdly health fanatics. So there's like lots of products on like at the barbecue where they're having turkey burgers, but there is like imitation onion, no tears. Like if you look at the products, they're just like really absurd. Well, I I feel like now is as good as time as any to reveal um, that I watched some of the new series. How? Oh yeah, because that came out today. Yes, or oh. okay, yesterday or this morning. So yes, yeah, uh, yeah. We, I I tried to put off mentioning it, but um, Rugrats uh, was revived, rebooted uh, for Paramount Plus, the streaming service that nobody I know is interested in or will ever get. Well, maybe now because of new Rugrats, we'll get it. Well. Uh, maybe not. Okay, here's the deal. Okay. So here here are my hot... Uh, probably not even hot takes. Um, so, first off, the big difference is it is not uh, cell animated 2D animation. It is uh, CG, like most new shows. It doesn't look terrible, but um, some of the character design really did not translate to 3D as uh, that well. Um, Angelica looks terrible. Um, Tommy looks uncanny valley. And yeah. the the camera is boring. Like, uh, we were talking so much about all the fun perspectives. Uh, the one episode I watched, Phil and Lil are, like, sneaking under a table. And it's just, like, a tight medium shot under the table. Like, it's not this, like, oh, perspective no. thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know that you're a big animation person because we were talking this, about this a little bit before we started recording. Mm-hmm. But, like, especially just... Um, the voice actors, almost everybody from the original cast is here baby-wise. The yeah. adults, uh, for the most part, have all been recast mainly by uh, celebrities. Right. And that's frustrating. At, like, I'm sure... Uh, have you seen the documentary, I Know That Voice? Oh, no, I haven't. But I've, I've, I've heard that, that documentary. Nice. First of all, <laughs> recommend. But also, it, like, it, you just hear a lot of these veteran... Uh, voice actors, including a lot of the people that voice the babies, like Nancy Cartwright, yeah. uh, yeah. E.G. Daly. And um, I think, so part of the reason why the adults were recast, I think, is because the original actor uh, who voiced Stu uh, passed away. Yeah, he passed and away. I, I think uh, the woman who voiced Dee Dee might have also passed away, or retired. So I think right. they were like, let's just kind of get new people. And they at least tried to get people that kind of fit so uh angelica's parents are now voiced by uh anna uh klumsky and timothy simons from Mm -hmm. veep and they have a rapport together they kind of fit the characters well um but weirdly they have michael mckean voicing grandpa and grandpa's character has completely changed oh really grandpa is now like a hippie yogi no that's like the complete opposite of what he yeah. was wow and uh, like i love michael mckean I'm, I'm binging better call saul right now but it just doesn't really click and then similarly i love nicole Byer. um i i don't know if her as Susie's mom really works maybe i just know and love nicole Byer too much and i'm just like yeah. i can't picture you as like a mother of this toddler when oh, like yeah. i hear you talking about uh, much more adult stuff in real yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, but, but uh, you know, the voice actress who does Phil and Lil, 
also used to do Betty, but is not doing Betty anymore Correct. because on Wednesday it came out that uh, Betty has come out. Betty is now a lesbian single mother. And so they have Nicole, I think her name is Nicole Morales. Natalie is, Morales. Oh, excuse me. Natalie Morales, uh, who's a queer actress uh, portraying Betty. And that's, and she kind of does yeah. a good job. Like, she, Oh, that's awesome. She has, she kind of digs into that slight raspiness that Betty yes. had and it, yes. it really works. Um, and the show, the show, the writing on the reboot is pretty close. Like, they still kind of have the misunderstanding and stuff, but again, the animation takes me out and um, there's a really disturbing plot for one of them. So it's called new puppy and um, Stu brings home like a puppy to foster and um, Spike and the babies work together to like get rid of the puppy. Oh no. And, but it like, it starts off cute that it's like, Oh no. Like the, my dad is the, 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 they think that the foster dog is like taking over because the parents are doting on it so much. Kind of like when Dill is born and the babies yes. are like, okay, we got to get rid of Dill because mommy and daddy are going to start stop loving me. Yes. So yes, it's a similar yes. thing. So the episode takes a really uncomfortable turn where the babies start framing the puppy for doing things. Oh, that's like demented. It's demented. And also just like, because usually it's like good nature, just kind of like they don't understand the world, but they're like, doing things with malice like the babies first of all Dee, Dee is instead of a child psychologist is now she basically has like an etsy shop i think which okay. i was gonna that yeah i will let you wrap this up but i have some questions about how they tackle the like the new landscape you know oh yeah uh, 20 th- almost 30 years out yeah i only i only watched one episode because i was like i don't really want to keep watching this oh okay, but okay. uh but I'll, I'll do my best but yeah so they they frame the dog they take Dee Dee's yarn and they sp- sprawl it all over the yard and they're you know they obviously don't care Dee Dee's like oh my mistake for keeping it out yeah but the most disturbing thing that happens is they try to frame the dog um for peeing in the house so what, what? happens is like the dog is just sitting in the kitchen and Chucky takes a piss like <gasps> all around the dog Whoa. to make it look like the dog peed. That is wildly inappropriate. This is, is this for kids or is it supposed to be for like the kids that grew up with Rugrats? So the advertising keeps mentioning like, like parents like watch with your kids on uh, Paramount plus, but like a lot of these weird reboots of like kids properties from the nineties and early two thousands, like they're kind mm-hmm. of trying to have both sides of it and it doesn't work. And right. Like seeing Chucky do that. I, I was like, that that's, that's a bit, that's a bit strange. I mean, like in the original series, they had like babies doing baby stuff, like taking off their clothes and ha- having diapers or like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there was like a Chucky potty training Yes, I remember uh, that. At but, one point. but nothing yeah. like that. I nothing think that nothing like that. That like intentional, like plotted out. Like I'm gonna make the make it seem like the dog peed. That's mm-hmm. so weird and gross. Yeah, and I think like to sum it all up, like yeah, the the so uh, Susie's parents end up adopting the dog. So it's like a oh like Stu, you can see the puppy whenever you want. And then Spike is now the only dog in the house again. But it's also just like the the animation is just really not expressive. Like, yeah, because, you know, I and I was I before we started, I watched this whole video about evolution of like the Simpsons animation. And oh, yeah. similarly, when you look at the original run of Rugrats, 
you know, it's it's hand-drawn, it's over the top, so they can kind of break boundaries. But with CG, it seems that people really want to, like, have it be, like, realistic physics or, like, because you're doing it in a program, it right. won't let you kind of break rules. It and won't let you, like, extend someone's neck when they are stressed or exactly. exasperated. And or it just, like they, it's yeah. less fun. Yeah, it, they won't let you, like, break with, like, weird facial... Uh, expressions in between words to like really express like what they're saying. Yeah, I got the impression from some of the uh, clips that I've seen. I do not have Paramount Plus, but I was I was also wondering with like the new show that's coming out, how they would um, address the internet and how the internet is you, you know that's such a prevalent part of people's lives. The uh, connection to social media. So the fact that like oh, okay. Didi has an Etsy shop. One of my questions or like one of my predictions for this show would be like someone has to be like an influencer. Like one of the characters has to be an influencer or I do theorize that they would have an episode that talks about virality, like something going viral on mm. the internet and what the, the repercussions of that might be or what the fame might be because there is an episode, um, I forget what season I like literally just watched it right before I hopped on because I was thinking about, oh, well, how will they address social media? But, oh, there's an episode called America's Wackiest Home Videos and Stu and Drew are competing with one another to oh. film their children doing something funny so that they could get on the show and win the $10,000. And then at the end, they make themselves such a goof that it's Lou who actually captures his two sons being ridiculous and Lou is the one who wins at the at the end of spoiler alert wow uh, <laughs> yeah I was I was gonna watch it but I guess not anymore <laughs> but yeah there there was like a whole episode about you know filming your child and then putting getting it on television and getting some type of notoriety and fame from that and so I was wondering like is there gonna be an episode maybe about one of the babies going viral in a video on social media. I wouldn't media. be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's and, my one prediction. And they kind of, I will say, like, at least from what I saw, the internet and, like, just modern day stuff, it isn't too ham-fisted. Like, you know, there's always an episode in, like, a new sitcom or show where it's like, this character is going to be an Uber driver or something. Like, that's not yeah. the case. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, uh, Dee Dee has her online business, Drew or Stu and Drew are both really into video games and um, Angelica's mom like was FaceTiming her assistant, which I was like, Oh, okay. That checks oh, out. Like, yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. Cause she had a cell phone before everybody had a cell phone. She was constantly talking to Jonathan. Jonathan. Yes. Um, and we got a little glimpse of Jonathan. I was, Oh, Oh wow. We actually see Jonathan. It's he looks, like you know, a, generic CG. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Um, but I was curious. So what, what did Stu do again? Cause I feel like, like, I was like, oh, who would Stu be in this new... Because if he's not a toy inventor, I feel like he'd be, like, some type of computer programmer or app developer of some kind. Uh, yeah, but what is he? It, it, I wasn't really sure from the episodes that I watched. Um, oh, okay. Like, I'm sure that he's still kind of, like, some sort of freelancer. Like, uh, the two episodes that I watched, he was wearing more casual clothing. Uh, oh, okay. But, yeah, I... It, it wasn't really clear, but I, I'm curious how, if it goes on, if they kind of make a decision like, okay, is this going to be more kids episodes or like, is it more for like young adults and millennials and Gen X that are like, oh, I grew up watching that and it's fun yeah, to watch Yeah, I grew up watching that. So now I want my kids to kind of grow up and watch that too. Yeah. yeah. 
It's a shame. Um, but you know what? Whatever. <laughs> At least nobody will watch it because it's on Paramount Plus. Exactly. <laughs> uh, before we kind of rate it, uh, Kehlani, is there anything that uh, we haven't really glossed over that you wanted to bring up? No. I mean, we we hit it all. I think like that show was ahead of its time, wildly progressive. And as a kid watching it, you don't even realize how progressive it is you're just there for the ride and you're instilled with like really good values like the original just has some incredible values to it yeah I agree it's just it's a lot of fun and uh it you know it was a phenomenon for a very good reason um I I also you know uh in case somebody's curious I don't really want to talk about it but you can look into the really weird dark and unnecessarily insane conspiracy theory that angelica imagined all the babies like oh yeah i heard about that it's so dumb and upsetting and like someone uh, just tried to creepypasta rugrats yes (laughs) essentially oh also uh in the revival uh there's no uh kimmy for some reason like i hope that she shows up because she's great yeah, I know. Like again, again with like a blended family, a, guy, a man that gets remarried, and like the children become siblings. Like yeah, and also no deal yet. Oh, and no deal. Oh, okay. So they took it back, back, back. Like it's, before the movies. Yeah, it's confusing. I don't know why, but uh, you do you do it with you what you will, Paramount Plus. Um, but now is the part of the podcast where we rate it on a scale of zero to five. Uh, we can be as uh, minute and specific with decimal points and stuff as we'd like. Uh, so Kalani, what would you rate? Uh, K- uh, not Kalani. What would you rate progress <laughs> today? Um, I give it a five. It's really solid. I like watching it again. I can't believe how many moments are really touching. Like I cried multiple times. Of course you cry at the mother's day episode, but I also cried at the DD game show episode. Um, because it's all about Tommy trying to find her mom a place in the sun. And like when she wins the Jeopardy like show, she like, get, yeah, it, it's so like I cried during the Kwanzaa episode. Like, yeah, like yeah, I'm going to have to watch the Kwanzaa episode when we're done here because I'm very curious. There are some extremely touching and poignant moments. It's just so well written and the characters are so well fleshed out. They have really full lives. Um, and all these nuances to each and every single one of them. Um, so yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good show. Yeah, I agree. I think, look, I, I have never given something a perfect five and I'm not going to start now. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got to be a little I, bit critical. <laughs> of course. I look, I love this show. I grew up with it. I had um, Tommy and Chucky walkie talkies as a kid. They didn't work. <laughs> That's cute. Um, so you get off points for that Nickelodeon. Um, but yeah, I, look, the I think the older episodes kind of threw me off a little bit. The revival threw me off a little bit. But like the core seasons, like, you know, three to five or three to seven or something, it's they're so good, so inventive, so fun. Um, I'm giving it a 4.66, which crunching the numbers, uh, Rugrats is now the third highest rated thing on KidFlix. We're giving it a score of 4.83. That puts it right above Moana and right below Paddington. Oh, wow. So what was number one and number two? Uh, like- so n- number one is Finding Nemo. Number two is Paddington. Like oh, the scores wow. are really close. Like 
4.85, 4.9. Like, Rugrats is special. It's great. It's clear that it's quality and it really holds up. Totally. So we did it. Um, Kehlani, thank you so much for coming on. Like, I, I've been meaning to ask you on for a while. I'm glad that we got to do it. I glad, I'm glad we did it for a special episode for a very special topic. Uh, tell everybody about your, your wonderful podcast. I've been listening to it, Amouge Bouche. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So Amuse Bouche is these big ideas given in small bites. We talk about like the world of food and all of the areas that like food touches, whether it be like food and gender or like food and travel, food and multiculturalism, food and children and and, uh, you know, all of the great ways that food touches our lives. So there's a lot of deep conversations have ha- happening in like the food world, but for, you know, people that aren't necessarily in the food media world like myself, and you need kind of like an introduction or an entry point to some of the bigger topics that we're discussing, amuse-bouche is the launching pad. That's where, you know, I'm hoping that those conversations can begin. It's an approachable, digestible, uh, easy <laughs> to kind of comprehend uh, podcast with, con- uh, with that's, you know, conversations led by great industry professionals and tastemakers alike mm-hmm. and so including give it a uh, listen yeah including our good friend of the podcast neil barnan uh yes. he's been on a, uh, us a few times he came on your podcast a few weeks ago and yeah. uh, it's great uh so yeah definitely listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts and also of course definitely uh check out your show check please i i was a guest on the unaired uh one of the unaired pilots i guess <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's how we met. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I forgot. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were in my audition. That's yeah. I was Were you in my first audition or were you in the second audition where I was like talking about uh Silk City and Yes, Will Silk Smith. City was my choice. Oh, that was your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh because um apparently when I forgot I was auditioning for the show and I just started talking about how Will Smith used Silk City in his Welcome to Miami video, I yes. went, Jack Frost gone done, lost his mind. When they like, cause that's the scene that they, they walk into the <laughs> diner and they, it's freezing cold in Philadelphia and he slams the newspaper down on a table in Silk City and says that. And apparently like the creator of the show was like, you were the guy, uh, you were the girl who talked about uh, Will Smith. That was awesome. Keep doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that was then, so much. I mean, I got and just then I paid got to eat food. It was great. <laughs> and then I got an Emmy for hosting the show and for being the wild woman that I am. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and as you. always, uh, you can find us on social media and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out. But we will hear you in a fortnight. Go, go, gadget, end show. <laughs>